Hello, and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. I am your co-host, Sunny. Slay, and I'm your other co-host, Renaissance. And today we have, okay, we were just looking through our hot takes in our <laughs> email inbox. Y'all, <laughs> we, bruh, we have like at least mm, 10 backlogged messages that we are going to get to, but you know, we like to talk, we like to gab, we, we can't shut the fuck up. It's in, it's built into us astrologically. I'm a Gemini rising, like... Gemini, Gemini Mercury. Moon. Like, we Pisces can't Mercury. help it. Anyways, so we can't help but talk, and you're here to listen to us talk, I fucking guess, and you want to hear us talk more because you're sending us these hot takes, which we're very thankful for. But also, letting you know, you guys can feel free to send us stuff that isn't about um, LGBT issues. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't about... Uh, bisexuality and its flaws or whatever or (laughs) women you you can ask us about other (laughs) and that's not to say that we don't love them of course we love them we like to giggle we love to see them yeah, roll We love seeing y'all stories. Just, it's amazing. This is becoming a diversity and inclusion issue. And so <laughs> HR, of course, ran by us, have decided to start a campaign to diversify our inbox. So <laughs> Diversify, right. We need to widen the, the voices included. Right, right, right. So yeah. <laughs> also, like... Hashtag own, vo- hashtag, own voices. Hashtag own voices, right. We, we're changing publishing from the inside out. The thing is, is that y'all also don't have to give a disclaimer at the beginning of your email talking about how much you love us because... <laughs> also i feel like a common theme but those are sweet like (laughs) as someone who sends in fan stuff like like i'm not saying they have to but i'm saying right but i was also gonna say like you don't have to preface anything about your identity either like it really doesn't matter most of the time like unless you want to because i feel like I feel like it might be. It I might think be. it's a fun little tradition. I, well, I yeah, <laughs> I, think I think it is fun, but also maybe we're losing hot take submissions from people that could be submitting because oh. they don't want to say this is my pronoun and demographic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right, <laughs> so right, right. So it, it, no, the you, shy ones step to the front. Right, definitely. You can be totally shy, anonymous. anonymous. Don't even worry ones. about it. Literally, yeah. no one is seeing this except us. Dead arse. And then when we say it out loud on the podcast, <laughs> we're not, no one's and seeing you can, the you emails. Can write things and ask for things to not be read aloud. That has happened on the Many podcast times. before, but obviously you wouldn't know that yeah. because we don't right, right, right. read what people <laughs> ask us to not read. Yes. So uh, that's our disclaimers yeah. up front. But, anyways, that being said, let's get into these juicy hot takes. Ah! And yes, they are about um, LGBT issues. <laughs> Yeah, because as of right now, but, but this disclaimer hasn't gone out to the airwaves yet. So <laughs> they are hit the fucking right, right, right. Oh god. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the subject line of this email says the lesbian master doc and its consequences. Dearest Sunnissance, first of all, I just want to say that I love the pod, etc., etc. I listen to it with my younger brother, not a lesbian, but nobody's perfect, and we agree <laughs> that you guys are objectively right about everything, and that. Anyone who has ever disagreed probably just has rocks for brains. <laughs> I'm a they, he, butch-ish, lesbian, gayler, communist, but you guys already know that because I listen to your podcast. 
my hot take for today is that the increased popularity of the lesbian master dog has wreaked incalculable havoc on the chronically online queer community, mainly by introducing the phrase comp het into the online lexicon. Obviously, for some lesbians, especially those who are more cut off from the queer community, compulsory heterosexuality is a real thing that they need to unpack because they never saw not being with a man as an option. Everyone else, though, on thin fucking ice. I have multiple bisexual friends who have frequently been vocal, to say the least, about their romantic and sexual attraction to men. Side note from Sunny. Aren't they always? Anyway, then later confided in me that they suspected they might be lesbians and asked for my help to unpack said lesbianism. Oh, it's always. Let me turn to my butch friend and say, this is here's my the bitches love to do that. Don't they? Anyway, you put your carabiner on your belt loop one time and you got three bisexual bitches asking, how did he know you were a lesbian? Can I ask you a question? But we digress. Right. Can I ask you a question? Right. Um, <laughs> both times I was supportive and excited at the prospect of having more lesbian friends, only for them to continue to tell me about all of their feelings for guys. They would describe seemingly normal crushes that they have for these men, then ask if I think their attraction could just be compet. When I told them that if they have a crush on a guy, then they probably just have a crush on them. They seemed disappointed at my rejecting the possibility of their lesbianism. Because of the now widely accepted idea of compet, women who are romantically involved with men can now moonlight as lesbians without actually decentering men in their lives. Now, when someone introduces themselves as a lesbian, I don't even have the assurance that they won't start telling me about some ugly dude they're talking to on Tinder. A similar phenomenon I often see online is the amount of tweets I see that are just some variation on every lesbian has an exception and mine is insert boring white man here. These are annoying, but it is so much more hurtful when your real life friends seem to offer lesbian solidarity than continue to be functionally bisexual. Being a lesbian is alienating enough without being offered false promises of community, but it's also more difficult to call these people out because it's a more subtle form of erasure than so-called bi-lesbians. They're still claiming that they're only attracted to women, but in reality, they still have romantic relations with men. Even worse, if you point this out to them, they see it as an attack on their identity and all of a sudden you're just another mean gatekeeping gatekeeping lesbian. I am, but that's beside the point. Basically, I think that the term compet should be abolished under communism and that the next bisexual woman who mentions it within 10 feet of me is going on my shit list. Speaking of communism, I have a question as a baby Marxist. I've tried a bunch of times to read theory and I found it difficult to motivate myself to get through the denser material. I'm a freshman in college and my school offers a politics course on Marxism. My college is like the most notoriously left-leaning liberal arts college in the country, but still I feel like learning about communism from a capitalist institution seems counterintuitive. Is it worth it to enroll in the class if I'm getting a grade for reading theory? Maybe the only way to get me to actually do it? I know it's hashtag lame to be a communist without doing the readings and I really do want to understand these texts for myself, but I am struggling. Much love and thank you for continuing to make the pod. It generally makes my day when I get that Spotify notification that another episode has been released. Thank you so much for to our anonymous listener for sending this in. And I feel like this is this is hashtag real AF. Two things here with the compet thing that obviously comes from the poet Adrian Rich. And she mm-hmm. is a big lesbian feminist poet from like the 70s and the 80s. And compulsory heterosexuality as a text is pretty complicated and problematic in some in some ways definitely and the way that it has been removed this term has been removed from even the actual theory and essay that it was you know 
that it's been pulled that from. That it originated is from? Very, yeah, it's it's very similar to the way that, like, the internet and also just how within the social lexicon people will just use words that are developed under, you know, some sort of analysis and uh, misapply it. Yes, male gaze, Laura Mulvey, um, fucking, like, even the essay decolonization is not a metaphor, isn't a good essay, but people use that phrase all the time, stuff like that, you know, which it's like all these different terms themselves and the words that those, like what those individual words mean and what that phrase means, or even like the term trauma bond, like trauma bonding isn't about, you know, it's not about you, both you and someone experiencing a traumatic event and thus being bonded together through that relationship, even though that's what that word sounds like. It means Mm -hmm. that through, like, during an abusive relationship, as the abuse sort of compiles against each other and as the toxicity builds, it congeals into a bond called a trauma bond. It's like shit like that, essentially, where there's the originating meaning and then there's a sort of social rhetorical meaning. And it's sort of difficult to parse that out, especially with the internet and how language evolves on there, I would say. So there's that. But then the second thing is that I think it's always worth registering for a communism class, regardless of the context, If <laughs> um, especially if you're already at school. Like, who cares? It's I think it's always worth it. And I mean, look up your professor and see if, you know, if they have OK takes on or if they what they've published and if what they've published seems in line with what you like what makes sense to you i think it's always worth it because a lot of professors and a lot of classes in the books and the readings you get assigned in classes about marxism and marxist political theory are really interesting and the class setting itself allows you to facilitate a greater understanding of the text than you could ever understand on your own and That's not to say that this is the only way to consume Marxist literature or theory, obviously, but this is just like, if it is an opportunity that is presented, I think it is worth taking. And because Marxism is something that requires serious study and is worth serious study being invested into it. And if you're at college and that's something you're interested in, like, you know, having be contributed to your education, then why not, is my opinion. You know? Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. I was gonna go to the master doc comment, but since you jumped to the uh, Marxist class, um, I'm in a class called Multru- Cultural Marxism right now, and it's taught. My professor actually is a Marxist, like has been since he was like a fucking teenager, and he is older <laughs> now and still is. And when I went to take the class, I had, like, similar concerns about, like, oh, is a class about Marxism, but taught at university just going to be, like, not? And then I looked at my professor, and he's written a lot about, like, pro-Palestine and things about, like, boycotting Israel (laughs) and those types of politics and some other stuff about Ireland because my professor is Irish. So I went into the class, like, being like, okay, if this flops, then I'll just drop the class. But it actually has been a really helpful class because a lot of the syllabus were readings that I 
wanted to read and have been meaning to read. And this class actually gave me an opportunity to just like actually put it in my schedule to get these readings done. And I think that if it's something that interests you, having that, like not excuse, but having this time where you have to get these readings done, even if you don't agree with everyone in your class or whatever, at least you're still engaging with the text and that will be meaningful on its own. Yeah. And I think the the thing of you having to intentionally set aside time for it anyways is especially yeah. real when you're in college because like when you're in that setting, it really does feel like a waste of time if you're not always doing something that will help reduce the amount of workload that is perpetually on your plate. So it's it's a way to kill two birds with one stone, I would say. Um, Absolutely. Taking classes that, like, either work towards your major, like, work towards whatever thing that you have to finish and serve your personal interests is the best way to, like, get that done. Like, one of the reasons why I watched so many movies towards the end of last year was because I was in the intro to screenwriting class. So, like, I had to watch and talk about movies. And obviously that was something that I like making time for and now that I'm not in any film class I haven't been watching movies I'm like damn but that's just like another example of like if you if there's something that you want to do but you know that making time for it outside of class you're not going to do it then you might as well just take a class for it and that's also kind of like what college is for low-key especially classes that aren't directly related to your major um but about the lesbian master talk and it's uh like consequences i think it's so funny because in a recent kehlani interview the chicken shop date one Mm -hmm. that's with the one british girl because like kehlani was like queer right and then she came out as a lesbian Mm -hmm. and in that interview she said that like what made her realize that she was a lesbian was the lesbian master doc, which I feel like hasn't been talked about in a long time, but like was like so huge, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, I feel Mm -hmm. like. And Mm -hmm. even though looking back now, if I read it now, I could see everything that is like clearly wrong with it and how much damage it's done but at Mm -hmm. the same time it was a really it was also influential to me from going from bisexual to lesbian so it's like Mm -hmm. damn it's kind of embarrassing that I like read it and fucked with it or I, I can't remember if I like really went to bat for it but I remember some of the points that were made in it were some of the things that made me realize that I was a lesbian well that's the thing is is that this is what happens with every socially informed evolving it like this is you know dialectics hegelian thought but um essentially (laughs) when it comes to everything from compulsory heterosexuality by adrian rich the original essay to the lesbian master doc written by like two random people that get circulated on the internet these are two things that emerge from very specific periods of history, like specific moments of culture and time. And 
social engagement like there's a reason why the why everyone started looking at the lesbian astrodog even though it had been around for years i think before the pandemic like when the pandemic yeah. hit like there's a reason why compulsory heterosexuality i think was published in uh what was it well it was published in like the height of the radical lesbian feminist movement because it's talking about how you know women are obviously compulsorily forced to view everyone who is not a man to be like not a a viable option for your life because the world is built in such a way for that to be true like you can't live your life really like that's why it's a feminist document you know fundamentally it's about how women really can't live their lives without men especially at this time period because like I, I really also don't think people understand how much feminism has done for us in the past even 30 years. It's changed a lot and a lot of things also haven't changed. And there's been a resurgence of like really terrible rhetoric recent, particularly recently as well. But like that, this document emerges from very specific social circumstances. Marxist documents emerge from very specific social circumstances. Every Marxist writer, every feminist writer and thinker is talking about and writing from the perspective of their point in history. And that's why it's written in that way. And when it's popular, when it's circulated also sort of contextualizes its viability and like its relevance, you know? And I think that it's not even so much as a question of like, is the is the lesbian master dog valid or whatever, or is this is this good? Does it deserve critique? Like yes, all of these things deserve critique. Like everything deserves to be critiqued. But I do think that like you you can't not acknowledge its cultural impact, and you can't acknowledge you can't not acknowledge that it's obviously super problematic for the ways that this listener has also delineated in this email, like the way that. It can be, it it is a way that you can convince yourself that you don't experience attraction that you do, but it's also a way that you can confirm to yourself that you don't experience attraction that you don't. So it just, it really, again, it depends on how how the reader and how the the person engaging with the text is engaging with it. That's that's true for basically everything, you know? Agreed. And um, compulsory heterosexuality and a lesbian existence came out in 1980 which was my guess but I didn't want to say it in case I was wrong and I think you can really tell which contextualizes like you said the faults in the document but obviously it continues to be talked about for the reasons that it does also oh this is what I was gonna say about <laughs> compet was back when I used to be on TikTok like that which I am no longer right P- people were being <laughs> dumb af about compet back when they were using it to describe this man who was being misogynist and talking about how he didn't like pussy because he hates women and people were like actually what if he's gay and it's just compet and i was like you guys are are dumb. that shit guys- is not for men be serious compulsory like, in what way y'all 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 are the enforcers of that shit be ser- like 
goddamn. Anyways. And then some, like, gay guy was also, like, like a gay man talking to me as a lesbian was like, I'm a gay man and I've experienced compet or whatever. Or, or like, or like gay men can use compet if they want to or whatever. Like, whatever. I'm like, you're, you're just describing the experience that we all experience, which is like fucking heterosexism. Like, everyone is expected to assimilate into their roles within cis heterosexist society under patriarchy. But obviously the, the way and how and why the term compulsory heterosexuality, which has been st- shortened into a shorthand of compet, has been used historically and currently is for the feminist analysis of women's place in society. Like, please shut the fuck up. Ugh. But people don't seem to like it when you tell them that. So. Right. They hate it when you speak real in facts. That's something that's something about that's something about people online. That's something about people in general. They hate they hate bitches who are real. Like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> Anyways. That's all I have to say on this email subject line the master doc and its consequences thank you very much for sending it sunny do you have anything else that you'd like to add no i mean i like it's okay to be bisexual it's literally fine in fact a lot of people are bisexual yeah and a lot more people are bisexual than they want to be like (laughs) please real Anyways, I I support normal bisexuality. Like it's that's just that not a lot of compulsory heterosexuality. That is attraction, and that's literally fine because a lot of people, in fact, most people, are probably like fucking attracted to men. Like who cares? Whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not, not my me, business. But that's literally not my you. business. You know. <laughs> In many ways. Uh, and it doesn't have to be my business. People don't have to tell me. You don't have to make it my business. So why are you bringing this to me? Like, I'm coming to you as a woman. Like, ass. Like, you know, when you're kind of like, please. Anyways. Do you want to go on to the next hot take? Yes. From Beck. This says, Hi, Sunnissance. My name is Beck. They, she, and I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. I'm a Leo Sun, Capricorn Moon, Scorpio Rising. Woo! Fire- Capricorn Moon representation. <laughs> Fire Sun, Scorpio Rising, like Mother Swift. A 24 year old adult that pays bills. Woohoo! Any other 21 plus listeners out there, LMAO. <laughs> and I'm a loud and proud Midwestern dyke and Sunnissance supporter. Wow. LOL. Thank you so much. Before I get into my hot take, trigger warning short story about me and my girlfriend i must say at sunny your tweet that was like they're working overtime at the white granola butch x poc femme factory is a hit tweet in my personal life i think my girlfriend and i quote it a thousand times a day because it is quite literally us rip your twitter (laughs) rest in peace at a sunny book see how i only speak facts truth and real and they 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 literally hated Jesus for speaking the truth. That's They like, hated you because you were telling your friends to kill themselves <laughs> on main, uncensored. I don't think that's what Jesus got crucified for necessarily. I haven't read the whole Bible, but I'll go on a limb. Anyways. <laughs> okay, hot take time. I'm so sorry for the long intro. 
Anyways, my roommate is a bi-cis dude that predominantly dates men, and he is always complaining about feeling like people in his life, parenthetical, women, only want to be his friend or only love him because they're their because he's their token gay bestie or whatever and all this stuff and he's a very likable person. I love my little roomie, but he never listens to me when I talk to him about how genuinely isolating it is to be a lesbian and how it feels to have people actually be repulsed by your existence for being a dyke. Like, cis women, bi women, straight women, etc. do not like us and don't protect or defend us, typically, but neither do cis men, bi men, gay men, etc. But he always tries to counter that by being like, quote, well, I'm always being tokenized for being gay, so dot dot dot. But I'm like, okay, but did you hear what I just said? So, IDK, I wanted to know your general thoughts on this convo because to me, it was very sad and also just proved my whole point. Alamafeo, but also I understand it's probably extremely frustrating to feel like your friendships with people are only on the basis of your sexuality. Whatever. I'm not saying my struggles are the only ones that matter, but sometimes I really do just feel like people cannot and will not accept that lesbians are the only people who stand up for one another and ourselves, like truly as Mother Swift once said, you're, you're on your own, kid. Anyways, not an incredibly hot take, but just an idea that I wanted to share with you guys. Love you both, and I hope you're having wonderful semesters and lives that many good things come your way. Oh, thank you so much, Thank Beck. you so much for the well wishes. Can't say this semester is going hot, but I love and will right. take the support wherever Please. I can get it. Yes, and same for you, of course, Beck. And, you know, the thing is, gay boys who complain about being tokenized by straight women or just like women mm-hmm. i i i see you i feel you i am i hear you <laughs> right right no like i get it for real but also well not but and also i like growing up having the gay boy friends and whatnot like i think that it is fun and interesting and slay how well also like i feel like it's sort of a social necessity for gay boys to have a gaggle of women who are who are their friends oftentimes Mm -hmm. just on a social level because of the way that like heterosexuality works because ultimately it seems like unless you're really closeted or not like feminine or you know you you, you don't give off limp-wristed vibes like you really <laughs> men aren't really gonna accept you as like a man you know mm-hmm. so really like within our society really then your other option is like girls so if your option is girls and all those girlies are tokenizing you and you know really reduce you to your identity in that way it's really frustrating because it yeah. is your only option in a lot of ways. I think the way that gay people and women and like the overlap of course exists, but like in general, this the group of gender oppressed minorities and how they ally themselves with each other, that being the crux and the underpinning of this email and issue at hand is something that especially in recent times is like much more I don't know. It's a lot more contentious, I feel like, because I think 
it's really dire it it's really dire times right now but i think previously it was really really dire times in a way that was like it's solidarity or nothing you really cannot Mm -hmm. you know and and the one you didn't have solidarity when it was you know like feminist being like fuck you lesbians we hate you it was lesbians being like well okay fuck you we have our own feminism you know and (laughs) when it was like gay men dying of the hiv aids crisis it was lesbians and like women who who weren't homophobic who were taking care of people during the epidemic like i think there is a solidarity that is created in moments of crisis that I think that because in a lot of ways, lesbian identity and lesbianism, it's a simultaneous hyper visibility and like total lack of visibility that and also isn't under attack in the same way that, for example, like trans rights or like drag right now is being attacked within the US. Mm-hmm. It's sort of makes it seem to other people within LGBT spaces or whatever that, like, lesbians are... don't have, like, real issues or whatever, which, you know, like, I get it, I guess, but also it's... it's ahistorical and it emerges from the very things that, like, lesbian and lesbian feminists have been critiquing for forever, which is the way that like women in society are reduced to possessions and objects of men and when there isn't that it's like a total erasure of selfhood in many ways and there's a lack of like even being seen in in a real way by people who you even are supposed to share identities or similar like oppressors with even so, yeah, the frustration is real, I think, for for everyone because it's it's complicated and it's difficult and it's hard to be it's fucking hard to be gay, you know? <laughs> it is. It is hard to be gay when like gay men are friends with girls who know that they're gay. There is like the risk of being tokenized. But trying to be a lesbian with straight girlfriends, it's like the same girls that have the gay boy best friend will also be homophobic to the lesbians. And I think like that is probably the perspective that Beck is trying to like talk about in terms of like having that difficulty. And also, at least in my experience from seeing various like gay boys, straight girl, best friend duos, like the bond of both liking men or both having to deal with straight men or just like dating men bullshit is something that like, they both have access to to talk about and then also the joint marginalization in that of either being gay or being a woman who is like talking to men is something that they're able to experience together even though like 
in different circumstances, obviously. Whereas when you're a lesbian, one, you don't have that with other straight girls, right? Because you don't date men. And two, yeah. that, do that bond doesn't really expend. Yeah, it doesn't really extend you. to men. <laughs> exactly. So, like, socially, even talking about, like, what's necessary in terms of or what your only options are when you're a queer person or gender oppressed in in one way or another like i think that lesbians run the potential for isolation in a lot of spaces where you just get socially rejected a lot but obviously like that's not going to be something that's like universal um yeah and we've talked about the experience of like lesbian isolation and that for you know for a while and in different episodes and such and it's just like i think of course it's the it's the ways that patriarchy manifests in interpersonal relationships and the way that we all see ourselves as the main characters like of our own lives but i think like because we live in a patriarchal society like men able to are able to see themselves as the main characters of their own lives and in the world so there's just no real way or there's no necessity to consider women's or women's issues and thus like lesbian and lesbian issues as things to even really begin to contend with as like serious because they're really just concerned with themselves i mean everyone is but like they don't really see i don't think they're invested unless they've done the thinking and like work to you know come to that conclusion i don't they're not they have no reason to think that they are invested in our lives and safety and sense of community so i just think that like it's one of those things that can only be solved through addressing misogyny and addressing patriarchy i mean that's that's the answer to a lot of things but like this is these there are so many interpersonal relationships and difficulties that come up regarding just like friendships and stuff that have to do with the way that we don't see each other re- fully because of how heterosexual and male-centered dynamics like work in the world the hot take hmm, was like i guess by men versus lesbian social isolation. I'm not sure if I have a hashtag answer, but I hope I hope this response <laughs> provide yeah. provided. I hope there's something. some insight here. But yeah. for the next hot take we have, we have an email that starts with Hello Sunny and Renaissance. I'm Liz, she they. And my hot take has a little bit of context. So I was talking with two of my other queer friends, both of which were talking about how they might be lesbians. And granted, I've heard them say these things before. We've been friends for four years now, and it comes up every once in a while. The conversation goes, I think I might be a lesbian, but I'm going to put a parenthetical metaphorical pin in that. And or I don't want to think about it or investigate it further. And then they move on. 
I think it's 100% amazing to take some time and wonder and consider and investigate your attraction to men. But my issue arises when the implication is that being a lesbian is something you don't want to be or think about or something that you're fearful of. I think it's okay to work through these things, but to continually voice it seriously in front of me, a very out and proud butch lesbian is really irritating. It's almost like a joke, like being a lesbian is something you don't want to be or shouldn't be or something to put a pin in metaphorically and not think about. And to make it worse, they're both queer. I don't know, but the implications are really annoying to me. I think if they were more open and more serious about discussing their possible lesbianism, I would be happy to discuss it with them, but that time hasn't come yet. I've never confronted them about it, but sometimes I feel like I should. What do you guys think? Again, y'all are really putting in the hours for dykes everywhere. Thanks, comrades. <laughs> P.S. I really love, I really appreciate the love and appreciation you have for butches. It's good to know that hashtag real femmes always have our backs. P.P.S. <laughs> I accidentally sent this hot take to someone with Lavender Menace in their email handle, so some other random lesbian with a similar handle has this hot take, and that's so funny to me. <laughs> please, 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 please. please. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, feel, I wonder I, if they get it and are like, who the fuck are Sunny and Renaissance? <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. My God. But, ugh. Dude, ha- have you ever heard? I think I might be a lesbian, but... Eh, I don't really oh, care. Absolutely. If I had a dollar for every time, <laughs> first of all, we'd have better mics. No, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> no, this definitely happens or I well, It's happened to me at least once. Definitely. Already queer girls saying yes. I think it might be a lesbian. I've Or heard more. also I mean I, I people who are presumably straight, just like girls, you know. Y- yes not that i even yes. know yeah 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 yeah. like which again i think um what liz says if they were more serious about their discussion about possible lesbianism i'd be happy to discuss it with them but obviously that's not the vibe like it is really frustrating or at least to me it's frustrating mm-hmm. when people joke about maybe being a lesbian but like mm-hmm because it's y'all would never do that tone. shit about gay male identity no, no man just sits around and thinks maybe i'm gay bitch unless they're going through it. unless they're going through it like angly well, broke back mountain style you know what i mean like <laughs> no for real it's like part of it is like okay maybe you're joking to like joke away what what you feel inside right i, t- I try to joke away the pain or whatever beyonce yeah said. like joke the gay away or whatever (laughs) but at the same time i think if you're talking about this with someone who is an out proud lesbian obviously liz is butch and in my case very out vocally like femme lesbian it's like annoying because it's like girl you you're you are literally joking about not wanting to think about being the person to whom you are talking to. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that is rude and not quirky funny. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, there's like this one TikToker, Tara, I think is her name, who has been going viral on Twitter and is also annoying for like several other reasons, mm-hmm. but most recently has, you know, been getting like quote retweeted and shit for saying that like she likes to make out with girls and she'd hook up with a girl on her only fans but she's not gay and like her boyfriends love it when she makes out with girls in public and stuff like that but she's not gay blah 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 
that shit is very, very fucking annoying. And it's not hashtag progressive sexuality is fluid slay Mm -hmm. that seems to be the vibe that she thinks it is. And so I think like... Yeah, free love in a lot of ways when we still exist in such a violently patriarchal society that's so fucking lesbophobic is just it's just like yeah you have a freedom within your sexuality because you're free in not having to think about the myriad ways of oppression that people have to live in their actual lives (laughs) yeah but then of course because there are people who do turn out to be like really fucking gay or whatever who make these jokes when they're going through that journey or figuring it out it makes it socially taboo it's actually bisexual erasure to say you shouldn't joke about (laughs) not wanting to think about being a lesbian or whatever the fuck (laughs) it's hard to like navigate that space or i think express your frustration with these comments in in the worry that you're like stepping on someone's genuine journey to figuring out they're lesbian but at the same time i think lesbians are so more considerate (laughs) for other people's like feelings around this when gay people get straight up hate crimed by straight people or gay people who are closeted kids who are literally kids don't fucking know their sexuality one way or the one way or the other get fucking homophobically hate crimed all the time you know so it's like so many people are not considerate about what gay people are feeling at any point in their lives that I think that voicing this frustration shouldn't weigh on lesbians as much as it clearly does. From my experience, like, not even calling out Liz in, in this, like, I have done this as well, where I've been uncomfortable not knowing how to be like, mm, that joke isn't really landing for hashtag me, Now, I think the way, because it's been a while since the last time, like, this has happened in front of me, even though there was a time when it felt like it was happening constantly, just, like, ask people if they're actually going to talk about it. What do you mean by that? Or now? Yeah, like, (laughs) I think the last time someone was like, oh, like, one of my friends who has a boyfriend is like, oh, I think it might be bisexual. And I was like, oh, like, you might, like, like what makes you think that but like in a genuine way like not in the you know and like actually ask people questions that contend with this and Mm -hmm. if they don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. okay then don't talk about it or like okay let's get down to this (laughs) because this is either some real deep psychological shit like (laughs) mm -hmm. that you don't really want to unbury or whatever the fuck there you're going through some sort of crisis i mean girl like we've all fucking been there and i i i get it but i feel like you know at a certain point when it when you make it other people's problem when other people already have their own actual major problems this is just in general for anything it's like i don't know again with it's about like being considerate in in general like at large but specifically in terms of lesbian identity because it gets reduced so often to a joke or to something that only exists for men when they are present to look at or lesbianism as something that only like because it is so dismissed 
constantly. I think that in questioning people who really aren't taking it seriously in their own words and actions, it's it's just like one way of confronting it perhaps. And I think it's worth doing if it does bother you because that's just another element of having conflict with anyone in your life. Like you kind of have to confront it if it bothers you to a certain, like at a certain level and to a certain degree, it's like really disrespectful to be like, I don't want to think about what it, what it is like to be you. I don't want to think about what it is like to potentially experience things that you could experience. Like that is just, that's just not being a good friend. It's just not having like empathy or a, a way of, it's, it, it's really, it's not nice. So I feel like, you know, that's definitely not how people mean it for sure, because they're, everyone's just thinking about themselves and everyone's just thinking, yeah, that's probably something that I could think about, but I don't want to. But it's like, I, I know you don't want to, but the reasons why you don't want to, you should probably reframe the way you think about that because it's hurtful to me and it's, and it's bothersome for actual real reasons. I feel like that's a legitimate claim to make because like, you know, it's real. I think I mean, for gay men or whatever, I think there's something similar to be said about, like, DL men and in that culture. And, like, Mm -hmm. there's similar politics about, like, visibility and outness and contending with identity and self-labeling and how that relates to heterosexist patriarchy, etc. But it's, like, that's that's his own thing and like I obviously don't really experience that or know much about it but I feel like this is this is a specifically gendered experience that goes in a lot of different directions and you can navigate in a variety of ways I just feel like people say this because we live in this sort of like liberal supposedly liberal society where oh we're all queer we all accept each other we're all hashtag tolerant <laughs> like gay rights you know everyone is a little bit bi (laughs) not me but the reality of the situation is like we kind of have to think about how our words affect each other especially in our own interpersonal relationships it's kind of integral to maintaining the bonds that you have really (laughs) very that i yearn and wish for a day where you can just be a lesbian and it doesn't have as much implications on your social and professional life as it yeah currently does and or has yeah it's so fucking stupid because like also being hashtag undercover when working in like from the hashtag femspective from the fem lesbian perspective <laughs> to from be like hit on by men or to be like flirted with by men or especially when you like work in the service industry or in retail or whatever the fuck and you're just and it's just like I know I'm a dyke everyone I know knows I'm a dyke like you you shouldn't even be thinking about me in this way because fuck off like you know I think it's it's just you know why why does gender have to exist because of patriarchy so why does patriarchy have to exist how else are we gonna divide 
labor, domestic labor. How else can men rule the world? It's in the name. It's in the name of patriarchy. Like, anyways. So, speaking of, um, okay, now I have to think of, like, a transition. (laughs) Thinking Uh, of why men should die. Um, (laughs) let's... (laughs) Right, right, right. Speaking of the bonds that tie us to to our fellow man. (laughs) And how they're... Right, right, and our relationships to people. We did watch Poker Face, the first season, which is on Peacock, which is definitely where we watched it. And (laughs) it stars and is produced by, I think, Natasha Lyonne. It's directed and partially written by, I think, Ryan Johnson. And a lot of the scripts are by Alice Jew, who... That woman's a genius. Let's just say it now. Like, yeah. Well, let's see. Maybe Poker Face will get like hella awards because it ca- it came out over the past ten weeks, obviously. Mm-hmm. So like, while the award shows are happening, so it's gonna be at least a year. I mean, so until well, okay. We see the cap of the recap of it is that it's so far we have one season, ten episodes. The showrunners yeah. want to keep it going. They want to make as many seasons and episodes as possible. Within the first season, the premise is that there's a woman, Charlie Kale, played Charlie. by Natasha Leone, who it has the capability to tell when someone is bullshitting, when someone is lying, and she will call that shit out. She works at a casino. You can imagine how many people are bullshitting all the fucking time in that setting. In our first episode, we see how the casino owner's relationship to her sort of really defines her life. And each episode is sort of a new situational, like, murder investigation that she, as an amateur sleuth, uncovers herself through her skills, but... It's, they're not supernatural by any means in that the only supernatural element is the fact that she can tell when someone is lying, but everything else is very nitty gritty. Like she really, she doesn't have Sherlock capabilities. She's smart, but she's not smarter than us as viewers. And I think that is something Mm -hmm. that I really appreciate as a murder mystery watcher because <laughs> uh, and also like the way that each episode is structured is really interesting and fun because the first like half the first third to a half of the episode is setting up the murder and the situation in which we get like we don't see natasha leone at all we just see these other characters and everything that happens to them and then like someone fucking dies and we see all of that from, like, the camera's point of view, obviously, which is, like, navigated through the lens of whatever characters. And then we see Natasha Lyonne's point of view and how that figures into all of the events that happen. So there's some time jumping going on, but in a way that is narratively interesting. In a way that, like, we also have seen in Ryan Johnson's, like, Knives Out. So it's very much for Knives Out enjoyers, I would I would say. Absolutely. I definitely, the show feels like a mix of Russian Doll and Knives Out, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because of Natasha Lyonne and Alice Drew coming from Russian Doll and then the Ryan Johnson prints, of course. Mm -hmm. The, The 2020s is bringing in just such an incredible wave of television if you are someone who enjoys television. 
I think between this and White Lotus and obviously Bodies, 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 but there's another, well, and Knives Out, but I'm trying to think of other like murder mystery shows that have been coming out recently, but this is a really fun one. Something that I think is pretty original about this show, which might be a more minor detail, is the show's content is pretty dark, I would say. Yeah. Obviously, because it's like Murders. a kind of gnarly murder. Like, it's not even your regular schmegular murders. Like, the murders are pretty wild per episode. But right. the lighting of the show is really light. Like, you are in mm. broad daylight mm -hmm. yeah. for really a lot saturated. of it. Yeah, it is not... Because even White Lotus, which is, like, in the daytime, like, it is color-corrected down. Like, it has a very specific look. Whereas, like, Poker Face feels like you're really immersed. Yeah, you're kind of in real life, of. but it's, like, heightened, obviously. Yeah, so that, I think, is just really interesting because I think so many murder shows are dark. And also, a lot of television right now and a lot of movies right now are, like, dark as fuck. And, yeah. and this, this is lighthearted in a way think that's was... like, we needed this. Well, yes, but I mean, like, visually. Oh, a lot yeah. of TV and movies is, like, visually dark. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, which I thought was a really which, interesting, again, we needed creative, this. Right. yes, choice to, like, go against the grain. We were watching one of the episodes. One thing that, I, that stuck out to me about the show was how many white wife, black husband oh, couples wow. mm -hmm. were in the show. There like, was some black wife, white husband. There's at least one, for sure. Yeah, at least one, but there's, like, three, three or four. Or four. White wife, white black, wife husband. black husband. Episodes, okay, look. Representational episodes. of real life. Okay? Listen. <laughs> you think that... What, what are you talking... I know. If, any, if, if anyone here knows, I'm the one who knows. But I'm saying, I think, like, that is just such a heavy... It, it's, if anything, of of the representation, that's an over-representation, over-represented right. hashtag diversity couple structure, mm -hmm. but that's not a critique of the show. That's just something that I noticed because I was like, damn, they're really shouting right. out the white wife, black husband. But honestly, none of them for good reasons because if it's a couple on this show, it's probably not for the best yeah. of reasons. But see, that's how we destroy heterosexuality from the inside. No, exactly. That is the Alice Jew agenda, I mm -hmm. believe, is to mm -hmm. destroy heterosexuality. Well, okay. Talking about Poker Face, I, like, really, really, really liked <laughs> this show. Mm -hmm. And I think you did, too. Like, mm -hmm. basically every episode, I was like, well, they yep. did it again. Yep. They slayed it again. Yep. Like, anything with an that Natasha is a part of, her besties will be employed, oh, will period. have a seat. Yeah like everyone grab a plate so you do see chloe Sevigny, some orange is the new black yeah alum yeah, for sure oh clea duval in the season finale of course super fun well what what are your thoughts on poker face i thought it was pretty slayful amazing i was hooked i was you know I was living and mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think the episode that has really stuck in my mind has been 
the stall, actually. But also the night shift has also really been stuck in my head. Oh, exit stage death is great. Time of the monkey is great. Future of the sport, those characters were were amazing. The Orpheus syndrome, uh, that, like, I feel like the way that... That was so trippy. This show plays with, like, time in terms of representing the past and, like, historical periods, as well as time in terms of as the characters experiences it is so it is great it's amazing and i think it's pretty brilliant because i don't think that a lot of shows can do non-chronological storylines in a way that is compelling and makes sense i i don't know do you think that the show sort of holds the audience's hand in the way that it presents the plot or the characters i feel like so many shows hold hold people's hands any like classic bad sitcom is mm. <laughs> is a show that holds the audience hand when presenting plot i don't i can't well okay i mean i can look i mean like in in poker face do you feel like there were any do you feel like it had just generally it dumbed stuff down for the audience or do you think it was like smart i think it wasn't dumbed down i will say i think it's like accessible like i don't think it yeah isolates anyone necessarily with the way that it tells its story but it also doesn't sacrifice what it wants to do so if it's not your cup of tea it's not your cup of tea but i don't think that it would be because it's too difficult to follow however it's, it's a crazy story. Every episode is a crazy story. And the overarching plot as to why Charlie is in all of these situations mm-hmm. is, is like there. It's there yeah. in the text, can be followed, can be picked up on. Like it's interesting and creative storytelling. So it's not like love, love, love that this show does not have a narrator. Like... Oh my god. Voice over narrator. Voice over that narrators be... need, to, need to not no no no. No, exactly. Like that would be dumbing it down. That would be telling, not showing, and holding the audience hand being like, and then I ended up here, and then blah 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 blah. And that's when I knew that this person was lying. Like, no, like we I think the show is also able to get away with that. As they are represented, for sure. Exactly. And I think the show really is able to do that and get better with each ep- episode, starting from the pilot, because when we watched the pilot, I was like, oh, this is like a getting the lay of the land episode. Mm-hmm. Like everything felt like setting up the information that you need to know, which when you're watching a week by week show, it's like, okay, that's the pilot. Now I have to wait a week. But as the season started to progress and you got more familiar with Charlie as a character and just the vibe of the show in general, I felt like when we get to even episode four, Rest in Metal, all the way through the finale, but like specifically up until episode nine, it's just like exponentially more creative and wild situations that also feel 
accessible, able to be followed, just good television. Mm-hmm. And I think the show in within the episodes and like as a series of television does a good job of balancing like what the fuck crazy almost like scary super intense for a long time on the edge of my seat and kind of like the more dramatic (laughs) yeah funny why is this happening situations like even though the stall stuck out to me like I wouldn't say that is like an intense edge of the seat episode in comparison to like episode nine escape from shit mountain that episode Mm -hmm. i was stressed not breathing heart racing from like the 10 minute mark all the way until the fucking end of the episode yep like wild and i think like an episode like future of the sport kind of is maybe a more middle episode. I think, like, Exit Stage Death, of course, about murder mm-hmm. <laughs> that Charlie is trying to show, but is also a little bit more flamboyant and silly for as silly as a show about murder can get, I would say. And within the scope of the show. Yeah. One thing that I love about poker face and also just this decade of television that we're in is charlie works alone which makes sense for the narrative but yeah in the 2010s if you look at like castle and bones if you're gonna have a smart woman who like solves things there had to be a man (laughs) somewhere in like there had to be a pairing and obviously there are men in the show Duh. Mm-hmm. But Charlie, as the main character, is alone and does her thing, does her bullshitting thing on her own. She's not the sidekick to, like, the yeah. cop. And she doesn't have a side co- sidekick. Like, she has no random characters she happens to run into, and sometimes they stick around and sometimes they don't. And oftentimes, like... There's really no way of telling who is and isn't going to stick around. I think the lack of predictability, like it almost, it it does have that sitcom-esque feel of like each episode is a different situation. It's like a reset almost every time, but there is a general through line in from start to end of the season. And that is what drives the whole narrative. But at the same time, there's a lot of humor to it. There's a lot of fun to it. There is like a new cast with every episode and that is something that can be so fun and amazing because it reveals not even necessarily it isn't it's not that charlie as a character gets like changes or anything it's like we get to see more and more sides of her and i think with future seasons hopefully we'll be able to see the other sides of her that we haven't seen yet and that just truly excites me to no end because what a fascinating woman and we just see her be in so many like situations (laughs) each episode is just she is always in a situation (laughs) her in a motherfucking situation and it's crazy wild hilarious it's we're happy free confused at the same time like it's crazy (laughs) Ugh, but, I yeah. hope 
I hope they do not give her a love interest in season oh, two. Oh, I feel or like, like it wouldn't like make any, any sense. Serious. Girl, they love to do it. They love to do it. You get a second season. Oh, you want more, a more overarching storyline instead of like these series of bottle episodes. Boom, love interest. It's one. It's the easiest thing to do, mm-hmm. which is I think would be a lazy move. Mm-hmm. And two, it's like I just I don't. At least for me, when I say I want to see more sides of Charlie in season two, I do not mean I want to see her love life necessarily in season two. Fingers crossed. I'm just putting that out on the record in case this gets into anyone's ears who has control over this. (laughs) Just a little note from the audience. One episode that I do want to shout out in talking about this is episode five, Time of the Monkey, which is the one with the ladies in the (laughs) retirement home. And those ladies in that motherfucking retirement home, that's us for real. No, Sunnisance down, and <laughs> and like people should be scared. Slaves. If you if you the fuck Actually, we're talking okay. about, like, and, and people should be scared and worried. Yeah. I mean, not right now though. FBI do I do not have time for the FBI knocking at my door. Absolutely not. JK, right. very unserious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing that I wanted to talk about the show is I love age diversity on shows yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. There are a lot of older, I would say seasoned actors yeah. on the show. There's a lot and of older playing actors like up here. The and main playing characters old of their main episodes. Characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just don't see that as often. I'd say like Succession is one of the contemporary popular shows that's out right now that has older characters. White Lotus has a couple older characters, but usually when you're talking about diversity of shows, like people either reach for the canceled generation, the show generation that was canceled, or Euphoria or other shows, but often those characters are really young. And I think allowing one older actors to have mainstream opportunities that aren't the grandmother, the grandfather is really cool to see and see older actors actually give really interesting and dynamic performances is always a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and I think that it's very cool that pretty early on and pretty regularly in the show a lot of we see just a lot of those performances and it's also like real life like I there's just something about television being very focused on youth and right. anyone not, older than like fucking 35 real. is like yeah like it, it's just not real so yeah. love love poker face for that and if you're someone else who enjoys uh performances of older actors i mm-hmm. recommend i don't really have any critiques of poker face because i just want to see more of what's already there and i think it's already what is set up now is perfect for that we are going to get but also like you kept on saying with each episode like how does she keep finding herself in these situations how does she keep finding herself in a situation in which someone has been mysteriously murdered like she shows up and someone dies and it's like well girl that's crazy why is it that everywhere you go someone dies 
And I was like, yeah, situationally, it doesn't really make sense. But at the same time, the thing about murder mystery and genre fiction is that necessarily you have to suspend your disbelief. Otherwise, you can't enjoy it. So I'm like, how much of this is I just need to suspend my disbelief and how much of this is like, you know, like just shut up and watch a show <laughs> or like, you know, what, whatever. Because that was just something that you were saying, sort of. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. But I don't know if that's an actual critique or just, like, a comment that you were making. No, it was less than an actual critique. I think it would be funny for it to be acknowledged in some way. Like, in passing, if Charlie was, like, fucking tired of solving murders. Like, stop lying to me. This is, like, the fucking seventh murder that I solved in two months. No, that's her full-time job, something like that. Like, why is she not getting paid? Yeah, like, at this point, it has gone unacknowledged that... Everywhere she goes, somewhere within one to three degrees of her is murdered. But, of course, like, that is the nature of it. One thing that stuck out to me that isn't necessarily a critique, but I would love a bit more of a soundtrack. Not all the time. Not everything needs a score. But there were times where I was like, there hasn't been... And a musical, uh, a musical accompaniment right. of this scene, which will either be like a longer scene, yeah, or just like in the episode, which I think really stuck out to me in the stall in particular. It's a great mm. episode, but there's like almost no music, no scoring, hmm. yeah. and there there's a number of reasons. It could be creative, it could be budget, it could be trying to do television without a score that's just a personal thing i love shows that use music or the score to either inform the scene move the story along to enhance it i just i don't know i love pairing movie music with movies and television Mm -hmm. so that's something that i would like to see them maybe explore in the second season yeah i also think that the show is so good it's not yeah. like not having music really like hinders the show i would say yeah but i just think it would be a fun addition yeah 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 i agree because i think during the first episode as well i was kind of like why is there i don't hear yeah <laughs> like there's like no yeah. n- nothing 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 but right. all of the sound yeah. like the sound of the environment what you know like like makes sense like yeah not fucking everyone has music playing all the time but you know the line between realism so no they don't just want to hear the car noises you know like come on no exactly i i I like aesthetic okay (laughs) right i like a vibe give me a vibe exactly like like what's what 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 are we feeling you know like, why, Maybe, why are we so anti-vibe these days? Like, that part. Which I think it was also shocking for me because Russian Doll has such a banger fucking soundtrack for season one and mm-hmm, season two. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, it wouldn't make sense for the people that are Involved attracting the audience to the this. show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, right, right. Okay, do you have a recommendation? I have a recommendation. Um, you do. <laughs> I have a secret. You can go first. Just kidding. It's not a secret. You're about to know. And my recommendation is this 
book called Quicksand by Nella Larson, actually. We have watched a Nella Larson adaptation for the podcast, Passing, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, her more famous novel. She was a more underground Harlem Renaissance writer. Her work wasn't discovered or, like, uncovered and, like, widely read until later. This book is called Quicksand, I think, because... (laughs) It follows this young black woman mm-hmm. who is going through her very a very typical sort of like coming of age moment and she like leaves her small town. It feels very early 20th century woman novel like Theodore Dreiser, Sister Carrie type vibes, very like portrait of a lady type vibes it's very serious in in that way and um it's it has it's kind of funny even though it's still somber in tone because we're just following her as she navigates harlem society at the time there's like a lot of commentary on that but then she also goes to all these different places and all these different uh, sort of like situation she just finds herself in a lot of situations you know and in all of these situations it's very interesting to see how her thoughts on like race and politics and relationships like family and people that she knows changes due to her like how these things occur and yeah I don't know I thought it was I thought it was a really solid sort of underground classic and it was, it was good. It was good. I've really not been reading that many books. Like I'm so, so behind and there's really nothing I'm going to be able to do about it. And it's honestly fine. I, I can't be fucked really. No, I mean. Really and truly. Like what how many we i watched god i actually like how many fucking movies last year and you read so many books like it was at the end of the year where like if someone followed both of us on these accounts they got like so many recommendations and reviews so this year has definitely been less like i literally have 20 so far it is march 12th and i'm at 20 logs on letterbox that is wild i was like at 20 by the end of january like by the end of the i think it's also because yeah no i'm i'm only i've only read 31 books this year so far which is crazy because usually i would have read 31 books in the first month or two i think i'm just so much busier now and also because we both started really heavily consuming media in a serious way at the very beginning of the pandemic yeah i think i mean for me it was also before that a little bit as well but i think it sort of expedited that for sure and because we're living in 
in these rapidly changing times like no it's just like because we're just so i haven't posted a youtube video in like a month like i'm behind on so many things in order for me to be on top of other things i've speak like literally got fired from (laughs) a job like have not been on top of so many different things but it's because it's like at a certain point when you figure out that priorities are real it's like oh my god like how are you like i get why millennials talk about like adulting or whatever like i get it now you're real as fuck for that yeah people adulting sometimes cringe listen i get why people call it cringe but also sometimes there's no other word to describe (laughs) because the other (laughs) word is just suffering but it's like suffering in a very specific way yeah i mean but okay this is the other experience i've been having with reading is that usually i sort of kind of passively consume audiobooks in a way that it'll engage me it'll hook me and I'll just keep listening and keep being like, ooh, yeah, like, I'm, I'm reading, like, I'm getting into this, like, I know what's going on. I've just been not hooked. I've started, I've DNF'd so many books that I've started and gotten really irritated with. I, I This is the other thing. I think because I've read so much at this point, my taste has gotten so critical. Not, not critical. Like, I've read nearly a thousand books. I've read and logged on Goodreads, nearly a thousand books. So, like, I think I know my taste so well that at this point, it there really needs to be a reason for me to finish a book if I don't really fuck with it. And, like, don't waste my motherfucking time. And the thing is, is that so many of these books are a goddamn waste of my time. Oh, it's just so, like, please. And I think, like, the other thing is that when I was reading a lot, I did a lot of testing. I did a lot of, like, testing, testing. Is this mic on? Like, I'd listen to the first five, ten minutes. I listen, I'd try out the first couple chapters for a lot of books. And then if I didn't like them, I put them away. Like, it's very simple. I put, I return them. It's, you know, you go to the library, check out some books. If you don't like the first few chapters, you just put them back. I essentially, you just return them. I essentially did that exact thing. And, but now I don't even have the time to go rifle through all of, through the catalog and check what's new and, you know, listen through. It's not even like, I, it's, I don't have the time or energy and I don't make the time or conserve the energy for those things because I'm already using all of that just to keep my head above water for like things that have other other very pertinent responsibilities and it's like so exhausting but also february is over and we needed that we needed that yeah yeah march thus far has been recovering from whatever the fuck february was i don't even i don't even have words for what february was did i even watch anything in february don't think so oh my god maybe a couple of things like it's i mean thank god to the people who have been following me on letterboxd because i keep getting new followers but i'm like i don't watch movies the way that i used to oopsie Mm -hmm. so so many of the things are 
rewatches or things for class or things that I watched because my friend had it on. So mm. I've watched one yeah. thing in March. It was on March 8th and it was Public Speaking, the documentary about Fran Lebowitz. So <laughs> or starring because it was like her thoughts. That was it. I'm kind of in a Fran Lebowitz kick right now. Don't know where it came from. I defending smokers. Very that. I have been like heard of her, seen her around, seen her interviews, etc. I would like to read her books one day um, when I have the time. But I, I <laughs> there's mm. just something she's she's interesting to me. Not all of her takes are great. No. But I, she's just an interesting public figure to me. Yeah. And is really giving me want to live in New York disease, which, of course, who doesn't fucking have it? Um, yeah. But I kind of get to microdose and just kind of get some hits off of watching her videos. Right. So. Right, 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 right. That's been really nice. Yeah. I've watched seven movies th- so far this year. Four movies in January. One of them was a rewatch. Two in February. And one in March so far. And it was a documentary assigned to me. So. I've read seven books this year. Or logged seven books on Goodreads this year. I have so many in progress. Because I have started books. And then because of class. I also haven't logged books for class but I don't really count those and now I'm just I'm listening to audiobooks or fucking reading for class all of the time and I'm doing that and then when I'm not doing those I'm just I haven't been in a book kick recently like I was at the beginning of the year I've been listening to a lot of music because I kind of fell out of music so then I got into audiobooks Mm -hmm. back into listening to music the stress of school and other responsibilities heavily decreased extracurricular media consuming, which honestly, I think now we're at like probably what our normal people levels on both fronts. I think we were mm-hmm. you reading, me watching abnormal amounts. Um, and Either if it's because of hashtag millennial adulting or <laughs> the way that so many places are like quarantine and like what the structures of normal? quarantine are going away. What? What if we're becoming normal? Well, I think there are other parts of our lives that disprove that hypothesis <laughs> other than media consumption. But we can Maybe. I, you can only hope i mean i One would i would only, right i would love for that to be i i i can't well, wait but to see be what if One day. what what if being normal means we can't have a podcast do you think normal people have no. podcasts do you think normal people have podcasts do you think i don't think so but i, I don't love the so. podcast I don't think normal people think, you know what? My thoughts need to be 
on air to (laughs) to people on the internet. But that's okay because, like, because being normal people, uh, that's all, it's already ironic. It's already ironic. That's why she wrote, that's why Sally Rooney wrote normal people. It's, it's irony. No one is normal. People are normal. Everyone's a freak. And that's what, that's what they don't want you to know. It's almost 2 a.m. I took melatonin like three hours ago, four hours ago. I am so tired. Real. Anyways. (sighs) Guys, please, please send, send the podcast to your friends, okay? We need more followers and listeners on Spotify. We haven't hit, we haven't broken like the 29k listener mark. We've hit a plateau. We can't plateau. We need more people recruited to the cause. The cause is, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, it's serious. Ugh. Anyway. That's all I have for you guys today. <sighs> guys, like, we need summer to arrive, like, with a quickness. Okay, g needs to sponsor us. Spotify Podcast needs to sponsor us. Like, why are they not cutting us a motherfucking check is a real answer, is a real question. Why isn't this Scream franchise cutting me a fucking check? But that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> why isn't Zoom cutting us a motherfucking check? That part. That like, fucking part. Why do I have to go purchase another Apple product? soon because my piece of shit iphone is dying on me when they should be paying me to be an ipad baby like it i don't i don't like what's going on here and the what's going on here in question is just capitalism (laughs) real this just in the lavender menace podcast does not endorse capitalism (laughs) please okay anyways that's all we have for you guys today um hope you enjoyed (laughs) (laughs) we have to end on a solid on a happy note on a hopeful note Uh, i hope you guys enjoyed the episode if you guys do watch poker face please let us know your thoughts because yeah since it is such a new show hype yeah it needs more hype more people to watch it so that they can get a second season because it's hashtag deserved like it's sar deserved i fear very very good so God. please please us please let us know your thoughts on that please let us know your thoughts on anything that is or is not lgbt online discourse related <laughs> in our oh, email yeah, inbox yeah, 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 yeah. looking forward amazing. to your emails about a myriad of topics and yeah. enjoy we'll our patreon guys. if you want to yes we have bonus yeah. episodes every month and we do like fun things and whatever oh we are going to have a merch drop soon. And we have, like, stickers on our Patreon and stuff. If you're listening to the episode this far into the episode, this, this, to the very last minute of it, you might as well join the Patreon. Because, like, who does that? Like, I know most of y'all aren't. I look at the stats. I look at, I look at the <laughs> listening stats. Anyway. The the okay. start to finish ratio. That right. that is the episode. Join our Patreon. 
email us at thelavendermenacepodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you all in the next episode. Bye! Bye.